Story 1 of Masterpieces of Mystery, Ghost Stories. The Listener by Algernon Blackwood, Part 1. September the 4th. I have hunted all over London for rooms suited to my income, £120 a year, and have at last found them. Two rooms, without modern conveniences, it is true, and in an old ramshackle building, but within a stone's throw of P place, and in an eminently respectable street. The rent is only £25 a year. I had begun to despair when at last I found them by chance. I had begun to despair when at last I found them by chance. The chance was a mere chance, and unworthy of record. I had to sign a lease for a year, and I did so willingly. The furniture from our old place in Hshire, which has been stored so long, will just suit them. October the 1st. Here I am in my two rooms, in the centre of London, and not far from the offices the periodicals where occasionally I dispose of an article or two. The building is the end of a cul-de-sac. The alley is well paved and clean, and lined chiefly with the backs of sedate and institutional-looking buildings. There is a stable in it. My own house is dignified with the title of Chambers. I feel as if one day the honour must prove too much for it, and it will swell with pride and fall asunder. It is very old. The floor of my sitting-room has valleys and low hills on it, and the top of the door slants away from the ceiling with a glorious disregard of what is usual. They must have quarrelled fifty years ago, and have been going apart ever since. October the 2nd. My landlady is old and thin, with a faded, dusty face. She is uncommunicative. The few words she utters seem to cost her pain. Probably her lungs are half-choked with dust. She keeps my room as free from this commodity as possible, and has the assistance of a strong girl who brings up the breakfast and lights the fire. As I have said already, she is not communicative. In reply to pleasant efforts on my part, she informed me briefly that I was the only occupant of the house at present. My rooms had not been occupied for some years. There had been other gentlemen upstairs, but they had left. She never looks straight at me when she speaks, but fixes her dim eyes on my middle waistcoat button till I get nervous and begin to think it isn't on straight, or is the wrong sort of button altogether. October the 8th. My week's book is nicely kept, and so far is reasonable. Milk and sugar, sixpence. Bread, sixpence. Butter, eightpence. Marmalade, sixpence. Eggs, one shilling, eightpence. Laundress, two shillings, ninepence. Oil, sixpence. Attendance, five shillings. Total, twelve shillings, two pence. The landlady has a son who she told me is something on an omnibus. He comes occasionally to see her. I think he drinks, for he talks very loud, regardless of the hour of the day or night, and tumbles about over the furniture downstairs. All the morning I sit indoors writing articles, verses for the comic papers, a novel I've been at for three years and concerning which I have dreams a children's book in which the imagination has free reign, and another book which is to last as long as myself, since it is an honest record of my soul's advance or retreat in the struggle of life. Besides these, I keep a book of poems which I use as a safety valve and concerning which I have no dreams whatsoever. Between the lot I am always occupied. In the afternoons I generally try to take a walk for my health's sake through Regent's Park, into Kensington Gardens or farther afield to Hampstead Heath. October the 10th. Everything went wrong today. I have two eggs for breakfast. This morning one of them was bad. I rang the bell for Emily. When she came in, I was reading the paper, and without looking up I said, Eggs bad. How is it, sir? she said. I'll get another one, and went out. 
taking the egg with her. I waited my breakfast for her return, which was in five minutes. She put the new egg on the table and went away, but when I looked down I saw that she had taken away the good egg and left the bad one, all green and yellow, in the slop basin. I rang again. You've taken the wrong egg, I said. Oh, she exclaimed. I thought the one I took down didn't smell so very bad. In due time she returned with a good egg and I resumed my breakfast with two eggs, but less appetite. It was all very trivial, to be sure, but so stupid that I felt annoyed. The character of that egg influenced everything I did. I wrote a bad article and tore it up. I got a bad headache. I used bad words to myself. Everything was bad, so I chucked work and went for a long walk. I dined at a cheap chop house on my way back and reached home about nine o'clock. Rain was just beginning to fall as I came in, and the wind was rising. It promised an ugly night. The alley looked dismal and dreary, and the whole of the house as I passed through it felt chilly as a tomb. It was the first stormy night I had experienced in my new quarters. The draughts were awful. They came crisscross, met in the middle of the room and formed eddies and whirlpools, and cold, silent currents that almost lifted the hair of my head. I stuffed up the sashes of the windows with neckties and odd socks, and sat over the smoky fire to keep warm. First I tried to write, but found it too cold. My hand turned to ice on the paper. What tricks the wind did play with the old place! It came rushing up the forsaken alley with a sound like the feet of a hurrying crowd of people who stopped suddenly at the door. I felt as if a lot of curious folk had arranged themselves just outside and were staring up at my windows. Then they took to the hills again and fled whispering and laughing down the lane, only, however, to return with the next gust of wind and repeat their impertinence. On the other side of my room a single square window opens into a sort of shaft or well that measures about six feet across to the back wall of another house. Down this funnel the wind dropped and puffed and shouted, such noises I never heard before. Between these two entertainments I sat over the fire in a greatcoat, listening to the deep booming in the chimney. It was like being in a ship at sea, and I almost looked for the floor to rise in undulations and rock to and fro. October the 12th. I wish I were not quite so lonely and so poor, and yet I love both my loneliness and my poverty. The former makes me appreciate the companionship of the wind and rain, while the latter preserves my liver and prevents me from wasting time in dancing attendance upon women. Poor, ill-dressed men are not acceptable attendants. My parents are dead, and my only sister is, no, not dead exactly, but married to a very rich man. They travel most of the time, he to find his health, she to lose herself. Through sheer neglect on her part, she has long passed out of my life. The door closed when, after an absolute silence of five years, she sent me a cheque for fifty pounds at Christmas. It was signed by her husband. I returned it to her in a thousand pieces, and in an unstamped envelope, so at least I had the satisfaction of knowing that it cost her something. She wrote back with a broad quill pen that covered a whole page with three lines. You are evidently as cracked as ever and rude and ungrateful into the bargain. It had always been my special terror, lest the insanity in my father's family should leap across the generations and appear in me. This thought haunted me, and she knew it. So after this little exchange of civilities, the door slammed, never to open again. I heard the crash it made, and with it the falling from the walls of my heart of many little bits of china with their own peculiar value. Rare china, some of it that only needed dusting. The same walls, too, carried mirrors, in which I used sometimes to see reflected the misty lawns of childhood, the daisy chains, the wind-torn blossoms scattered to the orchard by warm rains. 
the robber's cave in the long walk, and the hidden store of apples in the hayloft. She was my inseparable companion then, but when the door slammed, the mirrors cracked across their entire length, and the visions they held vanished forever. Now I am quite alone. At forty-one cannot begin all over again to build up careful friendships, and all others are comparatively worthless. October the 14th. My bedroom is ten by ten. It is below the level of the front room, and a step leads down into it. Both rooms are very quiet on calm nights, for there is no traffic down the forsaken alleyway. In spite of the occasional larks of the wind, it is a most sheltered strip. At its upper end, below my windows, all the cats of the neighbourhood congregate as soon as darkness gathers. They lie undisturbed on the long ledge of a blind window of the opposite building, for after the postman has come and gone at nine-thirty, no footsteps ever dare to interrupt their sinister conclave, no step but my own, or sometimes the unsteady footfall of the son who is something of an omnibus. October the 15th, I dined at an ABC shop on poached eggs and coffee, and then went for a stroll round the outer edge of Regent's Park. It was ten o'clock when I got home. I counted no less than thirteen cats, all of a dark colour, crouching under the lee side of the alley walls. It was a cold night, and the stars shone like points of ice in a blue-black sky. The cats turned their heads and stared at me in silence as I passed. An odd sensation of shyness took possession of me under the glare of so many pairs of unblinking eyes. As I fumbled with the latch-key, they jumped noiselessly down and pressed against my legs, as if anxious to be let in. But I slammed the door in their faces and ran quickly upstairs. The front room, as I entered to grope for the matches, felt as cold as a stone vault, and the air held an unusual dampness. October the 17th. For several days I have been working on a ponderous article that allows no play for the fancy. My imagination requires a judicious rein. I am afraid to let it loose, for it carries me sometimes into appalling places, beyond the stars and beneath the world. No one realises the danger more than I do, but what a foolish thing to write here, for there is no one to know, no one to realise. My mind of late has held unusual thoughts, thoughts I have never had before, about medicines and drugs, and the treatment of strange illnesses. I cannot imagine their source. At no time in my life have I dwelt upon such ideas as now constantly throng my brain. I have had no exercise lately, for the weather has been shocking, and all my afternoons have been spent in the reading room of the British Museum, where I have a reader's ticket. I have made an unpleasant discovery. There are rats in the house. At night from my bed I have heard them scampering across the hills and valleys of the front room, and my sleep has been a good deal disturbed in consequence. October the 24th. Last night the son who is something of an omnibus came in. He had evidently been drinking, for I heard loud and angry voices below in the kitchen, long after I had gone to bed. Once, too, I caught the singular words rising up to me through the floor. Burning from top to bottom is the only thing that'll ever make this house right. I knocked on the floor, and the voices ceased suddenly, though later I heard again their clamour in my dreams. These rooms are very quiet, almost too quiet sometimes. On windless nights they are silent as the grave, and the house might be miles in the country. The roar of London's traffic reaches me only in heavy, distant vibrations. It holds an ominous note sometimes, like that of an approaching army, or an immense tidal wave very far away, thundering in the night. October the 27th. Mrs. Monson, though admirably silent, is a foolish, fussy woman. 
She does such stupid things. In dusting the room, she puts all my things in the wrong places. The ashtrays, which should be on the writing table, she sets in a silly row on the mantelpiece. The pen tray, which should be beside the inkstand, she hides away cleverly among the books on my reading desk. My gloves she arranges daily in idiotic array upon a half-filled bookshelf, and I always have to rearrange them on the low table by the door. She places my armchair at impossible angles between the fire and the light, and the tablecloth, the one with Trinity Hall stains, she puts on the table in such a fashion that when I look at it I feel as if my tie and all my clothes were on crooked and awry. She exasperates me. Her very silence and meekness are irritating. Sometimes I feel inclined to throw the inkstand at her, just to bring an expression into her watery eyes, and a squeak from those colourless lips. Do you mean, what violent expressions I'm making use of? Very foolish of me. And yet it almost seems as if the words were not my own, but had been spoken into my ear. I mean, I never make use of such terms naturally. October the 30th. I've been here a month. The place does not agree with me, I think. My headaches are more frequent and violent, and my nerves are a perpetual source of discomfort and annoyance. I've conceived a great dislike for Mrs. Monson, a feeling I am certain she reciprocates. Somehow the impression comes frequently to me that there are goings-on in this house of which I know nothing and which she is careful to hide from me. Last night her son slept in the house, and this morning as I was standing at the window I saw him go out. He glanced up and caught my eye. It was a loutish figure and a singularly repulsive face that I saw, and he gave me the benefit of a very unpleasant leer. At least so I imagined. November 2nd. The utter stillness of this house is beginning to oppress me. I wish there were other fellows living upstairs. No footsteps of a sound overhead, and no tread ever passes my door to go up the next flight of stairs. I'm beginning to feel some curiosity to go up myself and see what the upper rooms are like. I feel lonely here and isolated, swept into a deserted corner of the world and forgotten. Once I actually caught myself gazing into the long cracked mirrors, trying to see the sunlight dancing beneath the trees in the orchard, but only deep shadows seemed to congregate there now, and I soon desisted. It has been very dark all day, and no wind stirring. The fogs have begun. I had to use a reading lamp all this morning. There was no cart to be heard today. I actually missed it. This morning, in the gloom and silence, I think I could almost have welcomed it. After all, the sound is a very human one, and this empty house at the end of the alley holds other noises that are not quite so satisfactory. I've never once seen a policeman in the lane, and the postman always hurry out with no evidence of a desire to loiter. 10pm. As I write this I hear no sound but the deep murmur of the distant traffic and the low sighing of the wind, the two sounds melt into one another. Now and again a cat raises its shrill, uncanny cry upon the darkness. The cats are always there under my windows when the darkness falls. The wind is dropping into the funnel with a noise like the sudden sweeping of immense distant wings. It is a dreary night. I feel lost and forgotten. November 3rd. From my windows I can see arrivals. When anyone comes to the door I can just see the hat and shoulders and the hand on the bell. Only two fellows have been to see me since I came here two months ago. Both of them I saw from the window before they came up and heard their voices asking if I was in. Neither of them ever came back. I have finished the ponderous article. On reading it through, however, I was dissatisfied with it and drew my pencil through almost every page. There were strange expressions and ideas in it that I could not explain and viewed with amazement, not to say alarm. They did not sound like my very own, and I could not remember having written them. Can it be that my memory is beginning to be affected? 
My pens are never to be found. That stupid old woman puts them in a different place each day, and I must give her due credit for finding so many new hiding places. Such ingenuity is wonderful. I have told her repeatedly, but she always says, I'll speak to Emily, sir. Emily always says, I'll tell Mrs. Monson, sir. The foolishness makes me irritable and scatters all my thoughts. I should like to stick the lost pens into them and turn them out blind-eyed to be scratched and mauled by those thousand hungry cats. What a ghastly thought. Where in the world did it come from? Such an idea is no more my own than it is the policeman's. Yet I felt I had to write it. It was like a voice singing in my head, and my pen wouldn't stop till the last word was finished. What ridiculous nonsense. I must and will restrain myself. I must take more regular exercise. My nerves and liver plague me horribly. To be concluded.